0: Let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Second uh, Peter tonight, chapter 1. Again, I said we were going to um, kind of finish up our series from Sunday morning tonight as we kicked off uh, kind of a new series uh, for the sake of our um, promotion here this spring. And so, um, of course, this morning we talked about um, creation, the work of God, and next week we'll talk about um, the Bible, the... The word of God. And so we'll look at that. But again, tonight we're going to finish out our series here and um, see, you know, how this all wraps up and how we can kind of try to avoid falling. Amen. So let's go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer and then we'll kick things off tonight. Father, again, we want to thank you for loving us. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. (coughs) Father, thank you for eternal life that's ours by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we just ask tonight that our hearts would be in tune with you, that we would allow ourselves not to be distracted by any other outside forces, that we wouldn't allow Satan to come along and steal the word of God as it's been delivered in our hearts. Lord, help us to realize, Lord, that what we do here at the church and what we do for others, both here abroad and around the world, is, Father, it's real, it's, it's meaningful, it has purpose. Lord, it's not a game we play here. Father, we thank you for giving us the privilege of being co-laborers with you and serving with you. We know that you really don't, I guess, need us in one sense, and yet, Lord, you clearly express to us the fact that you use us. And in that sense, you need us. Help us, Lord, to be yielded to you and surrendered to you and allow you, Father, just to use us in each situation that life presents itself. i be glorified in the service tonight. May your Holy Spirit come along and anoint my lips. Father, use me tonight as a mouthpiece, as a tool in your hand. And Father, may you just be with each listening ear and anoint their lips, or anoint their ears that they may hear with spiritual ears. Father, we'll thank you. We'll praise you for what you will accomplish tonight. You're a great God. We know you do great things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in Second Peter, as we've been noting in Expressing all along, he's writing to believers who have endured and experienced tremendous poverty and persecution. Again, a people that understood what grief and injustice was. Their faith had, been, uh, had placed them on the most, most wanted list, if you will. And they'd been hunted down, Had been handed over to authorities for believing in the resurrected Christ. How are you hearing me back there in the back? Raise me up a little bit, brother. I don't feel like yelling tonight. Thank you. And so the apostle now writes to them out of concern and um, he's watched them successfully navigate and face every trial and overcome every obstacle that Satan, the the lion, has put in their, their pathway. But what he's most concerned about is Satan the liar and the deception that he'll bring from within. We have noted that The reality is that churches overall are not destroyed by that which is without. They're destroyed from within. And we note that apostasy and miscommunication, misunderstanding, and often just downright uh, doctrinal failures often cause a lot of problems. Rebellion, of course, is a result of not understanding the Word of God many times or just outright rebelling against it or the reasons why churches often struggle. Now, Peter understood that the strength of the ministry was in the strength of each individual Christian. That the church would be no stronger than its weakest member, so to speak. And that there must be a constant emphasis on growing believers. In this particular case, he wants them to not only have begun strong, and run a strong race but he wants them to finish strong. And so he comes up with a prescription to try to help them and to try to enable them to overcome those obstacles that could destroy them within. And he comes up with this outline here in 2nd Peter chapter 1. We noted the foundation is affirmed that their salvation was sure. It was guaranteed that they had put their personal faith in Christ and They never had to worry about losing that salvation. Their foundation was affirmed in verses 1 through 4. In verses 5 through 7, he began to share with us some other things. He showed us that the framework was to be added. We're going to build on a foundation now. He said the fruit is assured. If we'll build on that foundation, if we'll add to our faith, then we can be guaranteed fruitfulness. We'll neither be barren nor unfruitful, and we'll never fall, he says. And like that leads us to our last point, the fall is avoided. And so over the course of the last weeks, many weeks, we've been taking that particular outline and we've stretched it along the way and we've spent some time talking about adding to our faith. And so we come to this final lesson, if you will, message. And what we understand is that every believer should have a desire to be fruitful on behalf of Christ. That God has a desire and a goal that we be fruitful and that we reproduce after ourselves. Again, we talk about being productive at work. We talk about being productive at school or on the field of play. Well, I'll tell you what, he was out there on the court. He was extremely productive tonight. And that is all good and it's fine, it's well. But the reality is, is what about our Christian lives? What about being productive in our relationship with the Creator of all the universe? What about being productive and fruitful in the work of our God? And fruitfulness, as we understand it, based on the passage even, is something that God desires of us, demands of us even. And he's taken steps here by utilizing the Apostle Peter to say, Listen, I don't want any of you to become uh, become, uh, fruitless, I don't want you to be... Un, I, 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 I'm sorry, my mind's a little bit cluttered. I, I don't want you to be... Um, man, I'm going to have to look at it now. I, I, I can't, I've said this so many times, I can't believe I'm mixing this up. He says he doesn't want us to be neither barren nor unfruitful. So he doesn't want us to be barren. He doesn't want us to be unfruitful. And so he says, now, I, I'm telling you how that's going to work. You need to add to your faith. And so we took time to do that. But what about us? Are we going to be fruitful in our relationship with the Lord? I mean, are we going to make that important like God intends it to be important? Fruitfulness is the Lord's desire for every one of His children. And in John 15, Jesus paints a colorful picture of this. Look at you on John 15, verses 1 through 5. He makes it real clear how this is to work in our lives and and, and what's necessary and needful. John chapter 15, verse 1. In John 15, verse 1, the Bible says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. We notice a couple of things here. First of all, the picture. Notice right off the bat, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He, he, He boils this down to this picture, this image of vines and branches. We understand that the vine is what feeds the branches. We recognize that branches don't grow without the vine. And so he's trying to make it simple. And in those days, they were in an agricultural culture and society, and therefore it was without a doubt something that was extremely simple for them to understand. And he draws their attention to something that they dealt with and and had uh, uh, maybe uh, experienced over and over and over again in their lives. He says, "Listen, the situation is such that it's like you need to understand. I'm the vine; you're the branches. You have you are sustained and you are cared for. You are your needs are met through me." If you want to be fruitful, if you want to multiply, if you want to reproduce, then it has to come through the vine. You're simply the branches. You have no ability whatsoever on your own to be fruitful and to multiply. You have to have me. So he makes it very clear. He gives us this wonderful picture. And the potential is found here in that same verse when he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He goes on to say, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. See, God says there's a lot of potential here. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you'll get plugged into me, if you'll allow me to feed you, if you'll allow me to sustain you, if you'll allow me to strengthen you, I want you to know there's tremendous potential for you to be fruitful and to multiply and to reproduce after yourself. And after me, really. The potential is amazing. But not only that, but we see this unbelievable principle here. He says in that same verse 5, For without me, ye can do nothing. This is probably one of the most misstatements in the Bible. Oh, I know we go around talking about, Oh, I couldn't have done it without the Lord. But we do. I mean, we go out soul winning without the Lord. We go to church without the Lord. We read our Bible often without the Lord in the sense you say, How do you do that? Because we're really not dependent on the Lord. We fail to pray like we ought to pray, which means we really don't need Him as much as we say we do. I can guarantee you there's some people praying in a hospital room tonight. Yes. What does it take for us to get on our knees and to really fervently pray? How bad do we really need God? Oh, I'm just, I'll tell you, my marriage is a mess. How much are you praying about it? How, are you including God in this thing or are you trying to fix it? My children are going wayward. Okay, are you trying to fix them? Or are you allowing God to have a part in that and saying, God, it's up to you what you do. I've got to trust you. I can't do this. You're going to have to do it in and through me. I'm begging you, Lord, to work in their life. Are we going to God about it? Our job situation. We run into a mess with our job or our finances are upset and upheaved. What's the first thing we do? Do we try to fix the problem or do we go to God in prayer and beg God to give us leadership direction? I mean, I think we fool ourselves so many times. We convince ourselves that we're so dependent on God. We convince ourselves that we need the Lord so awfully bad. But yet the Bible says, Without me, ye can do nothing. Amen. That's right. But we do a lot without Him. Yeah, come on. We watch television without Him so often. You say, How do you know that? Because we watch things we probably shouldn't watch. So we certainly don't believe He's there with us. We're on the internet without Him. So how do you know that? Because we post things we shouldn't post. And if we really were, thought he was sitting right there with us and we couldn't do it without him, we wouldn't be going, okay, I'm going to do this in your strength, Lord. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't have posted that in his strength. I'm just saying we do so many things without God. But yet he tells us the principle is simply this. For without me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You, want to, you abide in me? And I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. You want to be fruitful? You want to multiply? Then you have to be totally and completely dependent on me. We note the peril, though. Verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And Men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. The passage prophetically points to a day when the wheat and the tares will be harvested together because you can't, you really can't tell the tares from the wheat. And so the Lord says, Don't be plucking out tares because you may be pulling up wheat. So we're going to wait till the end and then you can separate them when I return. And in Matthew 13, we see this picture. We see them being gathered, we see them being separated, we see them being judged at Christ's second coming. However, I believe it also applies inspirationally now to each of us as believers. When a child of God does not cling to Christ, they become powerless, hopeless, fruitless, and useless in the work of God. Well, that's a pretty pitiful place to be in a Christian life. I mean, to think that we are powerless, that all we can do is what we can do in our own strength and in our own might. That's a pretty pitiful situation. I don't know about you, but years ago, when I used to work out with weights, I used to be able to lift a lot more than I can lift today. So that means my strength is, get, is becoming less and less. Where once I used to be able to bench 350 pounds easily. Okay, maybe not that much. I can't do what I used to do. And listen, when I put another 20 years on, if the Lord gives me 20 years, the fact is I'll be able to do less then than I can today. But I'm trying to do things in my own strength, so what does that mean? I'm only becoming less effective then. You know, I get tired of hearing older people talk about how I can do, I can do nothing anymore, I, I, I can't do anything, so I'm just going to sit on the sidelines, and I'm just going to watch all the young people do it now. I did mine, now they can do theirs. You know why you feel that way sometimes? Because you're trying to do it in your own strength. Because all you can see is your physical limitations. All you can see is maybe your mental limitations. All you can recognize your financial limitations. But let me tell you something God's not worried about your strength. God says, if you'll just let me be the vine and you'll be the branches, if you'll just go ahead and depend on me and and, and and totally surrender to me, if you'll allow me to use you, I will use you. You may not be able to knock on doors. You may not be able to walk up and down streets anymore. You may not physically be able to do what you used to do, but you cannot sit on the sideline and be fruitless and unbarren and, and bear nothing. You You are still able to be fruitful because I'm the vine. You're just the branches, and you can do nothing without me. So did you ever think you could do anything? See how deceived we really are? We've got wonderful people that are up in age here. Many of them, I mean, just unbelievable servants of the Lord. God help us to never believe somehow that it's in our own strength we must serve him and be fruitful in. But these people that he's referring to here, they're not connected to the vine. They've allowed themselves to be independent of the vine. And now they've become powerless, hopeless, fruitless, and useless in the work of God. Verse 7 and 8, we see the payoff or the promise. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. And the truth is, if you abide in me, then you can bring forth much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. But if you will plug in, if you will allow me to, put, to, to, to be in the rightful place in your life, then there's a tremendous payoff. First of all, our prayer. Prayers are answered. Don't you want prayers answered? And I'll tell you what, I, I want God to hear my voice. I want God to have an ear always bent toward me and what I've got to say. I, I, listen, I, I, I think about Abraham and there he is before uh, the Lord goes down, you know, sends these angels into Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think about how he, he uh, bartered with God, so to speak, how he Kind of, well, how about 45? How about 40? How about 35? How about 30? If there's only 20 righteous, will you spare the city? If there's only 15? If there's only 10? Finally, God says 10 is as low as I'll go. Can you imagine having the ear of God that you can actually converse like that with the Lord? Well, why can't we? He says, if I'm the vine, you're the branches. He says, "Get a picture of this. Recognize this fact. You can do nothing without me. But if you will allow me to have my proper place in your life, your prayers will be answered. Not only that, but your purpose will be accomplished." Look at verse eight. He says, "Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit." See, that's God's purpose for you. God wants you to bear fruit. You can't if you're not bearing fruit today for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not, if you're not in a position where you're, 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 you know, you're being fruitful in your Christian life, you don't see evidence of it in Ephesians, excuse me, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. You don't see evidence of fruit through your witness and your outreach. If you don't see fruit in the sense that you're reproducing yourself through discipleship, then he says you're not fulfilling your real God-given purpose. Now listen, I'm not trying to be negative, mean, or nasty, but anybody can bake some cookies for the afterglow. That's not ministry, that's a part of ministry. But that's not what God intends you to be. Older ladies, you're supposed to be teaching the younger women how to love their husbands, how to be keepers at home, how to do the work of the ministry, how to be the kind of person God intends them to be, so they can influence their husband and their children the way they ought to. What's happened to us? Our lives are so much ours anymore today that we don't have time for anybody. Half the time, we don't even have time for our own families. If we can't invest in our own, we're certainly not going to invest in the ones that God loves. Because He don't just love your family. He loves all families. I didn't understand a word that was being said in that room today. But I'm going to tell you something. My heart felt every one of them. You know, until our hearts start feeling what people are feeling... And understanding what they're dealing with and going through. We'll never really be like our Christ, the Savior. Because He feels our infirmities. Prayer will be answered, our purpose accomplished. Why do you believe God left you here after you got saved? You think it's just so you could tied to the church? So you say, no, that's not the case because I don't even do that. You're not laughing either. That's bothering me. I wonder how many people in the room don't tithe. I, I mean, I, I don't talk about money ever. You know how I am. I don't do that. But it just hit me like a ton of bricks when nobody smiled or laughed. I just wonder how many people in this room don't even tithe when they know it's biblical. But yet God's leading us. He's directing us. He's all about God in my life. He you kidding me? See how we kid ourselves? We deceive ourselves. We're all right with God, aren't we? We're just perfectly right with God, but we don't even obey him. Like Brother Moon said, if you, he, said he quoted a passage in the Bible. He said, if you love me, keep my... Amen. Yeah. Hey, listen, don't give me that junk. Well, Pastor, all he cares about is whether we give. Grow up. Go back and listen to every single message I've preached for the last five years. See how many times I've talked on money. But let me tell you something. I know one thing for sure. If I won't let loose with that, there's other things I'm not letting loose of. And listen, we want to be fruitful in our lives. How can you mentor somebody else in the things of Christ when you're not even obedient yourself? Come on, that's right, What holds back churches today? I'll tell you what holds back churches. What really holds back churches more than anything else, and there's a lot of things that hold churches back, mind you. But I can guarantee you this. I got two young men sitting on the row. If nobody invests their life in them personally and doesn't teach them the Word of God, personally and intimately, doesn't help disciple them and raise them up to be godly men, not just men, then they'll never be what God intended them to be. See, we depend on one another. We need each other. Listen, a guy that tells me all he needs is God doesn't know what the Bible teaches. You need a pastor. You need a parent. You need somebody to mentor you. You need a discipler. You need somebody to invest in your life. Guess what? God intends all of us to be disciples. And to be disciples. If you get too busy that you can't take somebody under your wing and help somebody grow in their Christian faith, then you're too busy, friend. And you're not fulfilling the purpose God left you here to, to do. See, He's the vine, we're the branches. we got to plug into the vine so that we can then feed and help others. Because what do vines do? What do branches do? They reproduce, they produce fruit. That's our purpose. Not only that, when we plug into him, our prayer will be answered, our purpose will be accomplished, but our place will be assured. Notice he says here real quickly, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Do you want to be a disciple of Christ? I mean, it takes discipline to be a disciple of Christ. Fruitfulness and blessing is the Lord's desire for each one of us. It's a vital part of the believer's life, and he took time to illustrate the importance of that by this particular passage in John 15. Now, when the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1, verse 10 says, For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall, he's saying that as long as you continue to add to your faith, the elements already listed above, you're going to continue to be fruitful in the Christian life. You're going to continue to be successful in reproducing yourself in the lives of others if you're adding to your faith. See, he's not warning believers to add to their faith or to fall out of the family of God. That's not what he's talking about. Again, remember that in verses 1 through 4, we already settled that issue. We're on a firm foundation. We have a like precious faith. When we fail to add to our faith, the reality is that we're no longer profitable to God. And we don't like to talk about things like that today. Because everybody's allowed to do whatever they want, and whatever they do is right. And that's permeated and found itself, saturated itself. It come into the church and has saturated the minds and the hearts of people, even God's people. Well, I don't agree with this, and I don't like that, and so I won't do that. I think I should serve God this way. Well, why don't you serve God the way He wants you to serve it based on leadership? I mean, since when do we all decide what we want to do all the time in life? Last time I checked, when I went to work, when I worked a secular job, I'd go to that job and guess what? They told me what I was going to do. I didn't tell them what I was going to do. Folks, listen, we got to understand that the Lord wants us to add to our faith, we need to be fruitful. Or if we're not continuing to add to our faith, then we will fall. And when we fall, we are of no value to God in the economy in which He exists. Oh, yeah, I know He loves us. I understand that. I'm not saying that He doesn't love us, but if we pay somebody to come in and clean the church and they don't clean the church, are they valuable to us at that point? Do they serve a purpose? Guess what we're going to do? We're going to get rid of them and get somebody that will do the job. That's right, amen. We, we have to be growing in our faith. We have to be adding to our faith if we want to have or be profitable to God. And again, we're no longer able to fulfill our God-given purpose as believers if we're not adding to our faith. Our relationship <laughs> with God may still be intact. We have a relationship. He's our father. We're his child. But our our fellowship is affected in a very, very tangible way. Now, everyone, no matter what their faith, their position, their per- perspective, their attitude, or their behavior, is always producing and perpetuating fruit of some kind. Every one of us, no matter what, where you're at with your walk with God, no matter whether you're in total rebellion against God or you're totally yielded to the Lord, everyone, every single person is producing and perpetuating fruit of some kind. Now, in my yard, if you you took uh, an overview of my yard and you walk through the, the backyard at my house, well, you don't even have to walk through the backyard at my house. You just have to look at the backyard at my house and you know what you find? Weeds. The whole yard is weeds. I don't have grass. I've got weeds. Now I would like to tell you that I try very hard every year to get rid of all the weeds. But honestly, I don't. I stop trying to, I don't even like to walk back to my, uh, my shed anymore because the ground is like this. Every other step, and I'm always like, I'm walking like this because I'm afraid I'm gonna twist an ankle. So I say, who cares, right? So I let my wife cut the grass. Because it's just not right for me to have a broken ankle. I could never preach, so I, I justify it. And, 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 and you know what? The weeds just keep growing. But let me tell you something. That's not what yards are supposed to be made of. Now, they, it looks like grass to some degree. If you look at it, you go, hey, it's green. But it's weeds. Now... I can take, you know, those weeds need to be rooted out. They need to be destroyed. That's the bottom line. And if you don't weed them out, you don't destroy those weeds, guess what happens? They perpetuate themselves. They continue to multiply. So see, you don't have to be right with God to influence people. You don't have to be right with God to reproduce yourself. You don't have to be right with God to even be fruitful. Because you're going to reproduce what you are. If you are a man or a woman that lacks faith, that's what you will produce. If, If your faith is weeds, that's exactly what you will produce. Weeds. And see, that's the danger of all of this. The reality is is that you're going to produce and reproduce after your kind, one way or the other. If you're a good Christian, you'll produce a good Christian. But if you're not, then you will produce what you are, a bad one. And the Lord's saying, listen, there comes a point that you are of no value in the Christian faith if you're not adding to your faith, if you're not continuing to grow, if you're not allowing yourself to be used to fulfill your God-given purpose. You've got to grow in grace and you've got to grow in me and you've got to allow me to have control of your life because only then will you be able to produce and reproduce the kind of believer that I intend to be reproduced. So we have our chart and we, we go back to our pillar. And we started talking about the pillar, and we, we said the pillar was divided into three parts. We saw the base, or the foundation, which was commitment. And we noted that we were to add to our faith virtue, and to add to our faith knowledge. I mean, we're we all have this faith now. We're on this foundation. But we're to add to it, and we're to add this virtue. And we said that virtue was... Moral excellence. It was this great desire to be Christ-like. To make that our real goal in life. Our real purpose for existing. To be like Christ. And then to that we add knowledge. Because the bottom line is, is that you can't be like Christ if you don't know anything about Him. And so we have to dig and get into the Word of God. And add to our Faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. Not any knowledge, but the knowledge of Christ. His work, His ways, His will. And therefore, our our foundation is secure in commitment. And that's where it all begins. I'm committed to Christ. I'm committed to to walk with God. I have a great desire to be like Him and to fulfill my God-given purpose. Now I need to take steps to accomplish that. And so we go from that to, we said, the middle or to what is called the the center support, which is courage. And we said to virtue, we must add knowledge. And to knowledge, we must add temperance. And temperance is nothing less than self-control. That internal ability to say no to self, to die to self, to crucify the flesh. And then to temperance, we are to add patience. Because once we have control on the inside, then we're able to control the outside. And it has to do with endurance, this patience. Understanding that God is a God of love and that God has a purpose and a plan for the universe and for the world and for our life. That God will fulfill that purpose in our life if we allow Him. And that there's nothing really by chance and so we endure patiently. And then finally, godliness. And we said that godliness, I mean, that, that's where we, we find the real courage to stand. The godly man or godly woman says, listen, I will not allow evil to rule and reign in my life. I'll not allow it to rule and reign in my, my country, my, my church. I won't allow it to have preeminence. In in my home, I won't let it be in my marriage, and I'm certainly not going to allow it in my life. I'm going to stand against evil, and I'm going to stand for Jesus Christ. The courage. And then finally, we come to what's called the capital. And we notice compassion at the top. And we said, so, to our faith, we're to add Virtue and to virtue knowledge into knowledge temperance into temperance patience into patience godliness. But then he says, to godliness, brotherly kindness. I, I'm I'm determined to be Christ-like. I, I'm determined to, to please God with my thoughts and my life, the best I know how to be like him. And I'm going to dig into the Word of God. I'm going to study and I'm going to be disciplined in that study. And I'm going to truly seek Him out and understand who and what He's all about. And what His will for my life is. And what His goals and His desires are for me. I'm going to be digging. But then it's going to affect my life. And I'm going to add to all of that this ability to say no to myself. To crucify this flesh. I don't want to be ruled by my passions. I want the Holy Spirit of God to rule me. And then as I allow the Spirit of God to rule me inwardly, He's able to direct me outwardly. And now I'm adding to that that temperance, patience. And then to that patience, godliness. And I'm saying, listen, I know for a fact what my goal is with God. And I know that what He demands of society and with the world and the universe. And I know what He wants out of my life. And I know that that is sin and that is wrong. And I'm not going to allow the world to run over top of God. I'm not going to allow the world to tell us that we're wrong for believing what the Word of God teaches. I'm going to stand for Jesus Christ nobody's going to put their tongue or mouth on my Lord I'm going to take a stand for Him and I'm going to stand against evil and I'm going to stand for Christ no matter the cost and I know that all that live godly shall be, in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted I know that but I'll take it but then with that courage comes great compassion And and we don't stand up and beat people up. And we don't try to tell people we're the only ones that's right. And we don't come across as being self-righteous. And we have a compassion for our brothers and sisters in Christ now. We see ourselves the way God sees us. Yes, as very special and unique because He created us and He saved us. But also as wretched sinners that deserve hell and deserve nothing good and we look at the brothers and sisters in Christ now, and we have compassion on them because they're in the same boat we are. We don't just look at how they act and what they think. We recognize the fact that we have so much in common. We have Jesus Christ. We have an indwelling presence of Christ through the Holy Ghost. We have a home in heaven. We, we have so many things in common. We're going to focus our attention on the things we have in common, not our differences. <clears throat> So we are able to exhibit some compassion The world sees compassion Sees brotherly kindness How sad it is when the Bible talks about That the church was devouring one another But then we're to add to that charity It's interesting isn't it You'd think that he would say charity Then he'd say brotherly kindness But he says brotherly kindness You not know why Because it starts with those people That we have something in common with How can two walk together except they be agreed? Do You know, it's so much easier to love and to show compassion to people that are like you. It's so much more difficult when they have nothing in common with you. And so the last thing he tells us to add is charity. Charity. So that's how this all worked out now. And as we do that, we become... It's a guaranteed process. Fruitfulness will be fruitful. So, I got to thinking, if all we have to do is add to our faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, charity... And we're guaranteed fruitfulness. I thought as we close out our series, what better thing to do than to try to help us see some warning signs that we're not adding to our faith. And so, that's really what I want to share with you right now. How do we know when we're really slipping? Well, it kind of starts at the top. We'll start at the top. One of the things that will happen is that you won't have the compassion that you should have. That I won't have the compassion that I should have. You know, we'll lack love for people that don't have things in common with us. You know, like folks that don't agree politically with us. Folks that don't agree morally with us. We have no love in our heart for them. As a matter of fact, we'd rather just stomp them out, kill them, be done with them. Hey, you know what, there's a problem with how you see things if you feel that way. See, that's a lack of compassion. I don't think Jesus feels that way. I don't think Jesus agrees with people. You don't agree with the fool and their folly, you don't do that. But by the same token, you still have compassion on them. Do you realize how deceived they are? Do you recognize how, how the Satan has manipulated their mind, their thoughts, their outlook, their perspective, their attitudes? Can we have any compassion for people that don't see things our way all the time? Somebody looks at us cross-eyed, somebody does something a little bit out of sorts, somebody treats us a little bit ill, and all of a sudden we are ready to just fight. Man, if I could, I would... Where's your compassion? What happened to it? Maybe we need to add a little bit. In the church house, in the world, when we stop or we find ourselves lacking compassion. I didn't say that we have to agree with everything. It wasn't that, it was a number of years ago that I ran into my first AIDS patient. And I walked into the room and they told me, they said, Sir, he has AIDS. And I said, okay, you got to understand this is back in the early nineties. It wasn't that long after they'd really kind of come out. It was really becoming popular and man, it was a problem. They were scared to death at that point because, you know, the blood and this and that they didn't know exactly what transmitted it and all that I walked into the room. I still remember walking into that room and I saw that gentleman there. And as soon as I saw him, my heart went out to him. He was skin and bones. And I remember walking up to him, and I went to shake his hand. He said, you do know I have AIDS. I said, I think my Lord's big enough to protect me from AIDS. I shook his hand, and I talked to him for a few minutes. He said, you know, most people wouldn't even get this close to me. I said, well, Jesus would. And we talked a while. Talked about the Lord. We talked about a lot of things. I don't agree with his lifestyle in the least, because God doesn't. I don't know what choices he made in life, really, all the way, all together. But I know one of those choices led to the situation he found himself in. It would have been easy to say, well, you got yourself in this mess. What are you going to do about it? It's your own fault. But see, Jesus would have had compassion on him. Where's our compassion? When you start lacking compassion for people whether it's your family, friends, relatives, acquaintances, or just the world in general, maybe you're slipping. Maybe it's time to recognize the fact that you need to add to your faith. What about when we lack courage? You know, that kind of hits us right at that center support there. You know, we're out and about and somebody uses the, you know, some, somebody puts down our Lord kind of like Goliath did in the valley of Elah. And there's something in us that says you ought to say something. You ought to stand up. You ought to take a stand. but we don't have the courage to do that, even though the Holy Spirit's telling us we ought to. I'm not talking about just being nasty or mean or somehow trying to prove to everybody that you're all that and they're all nothing. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit of God convicts you and maybe you're in a classroom and the teacher's talking about evolution or the teacher's talking about some moral issue and in your heart you know you should at least step up and say listen, I know what you believe but I also know what the Bible says and you know they're going to laugh at you and you know they're going to make fun of you and you know they're going to disagree with you you know it may even cost you a grade you know it may cost you your job even but you got courage and you're going to stand the Lord speaks to your heart and says, pass that track out to that guy beside you at the, in the grocery line or that gal beside you. Or to pass out that track and maybe say a word of encouragement to that person that's pumping gas beside you. But you find yourself not willing to obey. We lack courage. It's time to add to our faith again. Maybe we're not as solid as a believer as we thought we were. Maybe we're not so grounded as we think. Maybe we lack patience. It's funny how we all want to believe ourselves to be great Christians. By the way, just if you say, well, I don't believe I'm one of those, so that doesn't give you an excuse to act like a bad one either now. I always like, it's amazing to me how many Christians will say, well, I never did say I was a good Christian. There's just no way. This flesh is just really strong. You just don't, you know, I just really have a hard time. Yeah, duh. Welcome to the human race. Doesn't give you a right to live unholy and unrighteous. But as believers, let's not get so caught up in thinking because we go to church three times a week, or maybe we go soloing, or maybe we teach Sunday school, or we clean the church, or we help work in the nurseries, or we do this or do that, that that makes us all that. No. You know what? Sometimes we lack like patience. What about patience with your coworkers? Patience with your wife or your husband? Patience with your children when they've not done anything actually wrong. They just were being kids. What about patience with that, those people out there on the streets, the highways and the byways, cutting you off and going in and out of traffic? What about patience with people who treat you wrongly? Maybe we need to add to our faith. Maybe we're not as grounded as we think. What about lacking self-control? You know, we struggle with purity and holiness in our life. We're convicted at times, and maybe sometimes we've gotten to the place where we're not even convicted anymore. Where everything's just okay, we've been lulled to sleep. We think it's all right to watch certain things, we think it's okay to listen to certain things. We, we've come to the conclusion it's alright to say certain things and do certain things and it's okay now. But if I'd have talked to you ten years ago, you'd have said, nah, that, as a Christian, I don't think that's appropriate. What's happened to us? Maybe we need to add to our faith. Maybe we're not so such big shots for God as we think. Yeah. What about a lack of spiritual discipline in our life? This This really hits us right at the very root of our being here i mean we're not in the word of god on our knees consistently we're sporadic we're hit and miss we we don't have that spelled out time we don't have that disciplined lifestyle where we include god in our daily walk and then we make excuses why we struggle with that you know having all these kids oh i see so god gave you children so now you neglect god well, now I'm married and I just don't have time for certain things. Oh, I see. So God gave you a wife or a husband, but you don't have time for him anymore. We don't say things like this, but what if God said, okay, if that's going to keep you from serving me, then I guess I could take it back. So we don't like to talk like that. But how's come it works that way, but it doesn't work the other way? How's come we're quick to say God has to understand God blesses you, and then you curse God? It sounds to me like you better add to your faith a little bit. sounds to me like you lack a little spiritual discipline in your life. You're not as dedicated as you once were. You used to be more dedicated. Being in God's house meant more to you. Being in your Bible meant more to you. Praying meant more to you. Fellowship with the saints meant more to you. Things that were going on at the church meant more to you because those were spiritual things. Those were things that made a difference and an impact in others' lives, not just yours. But now your dedication levels kind of went down the tubes. I don't know, man. That foundation's getting pretty beat up. It looks like it's about ready to fall now. I think we need to be very careful to evaluate our Christian lives and our spiritual walks constantly. And I believe that not only does Second Peter enable us, excuse me, first, let's see, I get my Timothy and the, the, the Peter study mixed up. Not only does this study tell us how we can neither be barren nor unfruitful and never fall, but I think it becomes a tremendous gauge to help us know where we're at with the Lord and in our, our spiritual life at all times. Amen. And that's what I think we, how I want to end this series is saying, listen, we're to add some things to our faith. And if we'll add those things, then we'll neither be barren nor unfruitful and we will never fall. So, therefore, conversely, we can look at our life and say, if there's certain things lacking, then that means the foundation is being slowly, if not possibly, eroded away. If we're not adding, then it's eroding. And I want to encourage you to take the time in your Christian life to look at these qualities and characteristics from time to time and say, how am I doing with patience in my life? Compassion in my life? How am I doing with spiritual disciplines? And how am I doing with purity and holiness and righteousness? As you evaluate yourself, you will be able to tell whether or not you are being fruitful and growing or whether you are potentially setting yourself up for a fall. Let's not wait till the foundation is totally eroded and we're ready to walk out the doors of the church and away from our, whole, our Savior and our Lord. Let's find it before it gets there and then begin to add to our faith and reestablish and rebuild the foundation, add and rebuild to the center support so that ultimately what people see is that tremendous compassion of Jesus Christ because that's the outstanding characteristic and quality that Christ exhibited on earth that made people want to be in His presence so much. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for just the simplicity of your word. And Lord, it's...